0: The Sluts and Scholars. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we make your sex smarter and your smart sexier. I am Simone, and I'm Nicoletta, and our guest this week hardly needs an introduction.
1: She is a burlesque super queen, Dita Von Teese, performing striptease since 1992. She is the biggest name in burlesque in the world since Gypsy Rosalie. And is credited with bringing the art form back into the spotlight with a new sense of elegance and sophistication. She tours all around the world, and you've probably seen pictures of her in her iconic martini glass. She recently toured with some other burlesque and comedic icons for her amazing show, Art of the Teese, which I had the pleasure of seeing. In addition to her burlesque shows, Dita is a self-styled fashion icon, topping best dressed lists all over the world. She currently has a lingerie line, an eyewear company, and an amazing new beauty book entitled Your Beauty Mark, The Ultimate Guide to Eccentric Glamour. Dita, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you. So we, okay. I, I met Dita um, when we, I happened to be at Canyon Ranch, um, which is an awesome spa in Arizona. And you were doing this like burlesque series, um, and it was so fabulous. And we also met this, um, do you remember that lady from the Midwest? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, she, she's from Little Rock. Actually. Little Rock. Yeah, and works for the church. And what I remember most about the first day that I met you two was she came in. I don't know if you remember this in full lingerie. It was amazing. And she's in her 60s, and she came in in like garter belt and oh, corset. I hope that's and, me. Yeah,
1: someday. and she
2: works for the church in Arkansas. My favorite
1: thing that she told us, um, which I think is great advice to everyone, is that she said that her husband and her have come up with, like, different color ties and what each of those mean in terms of, like, sexual and intimacy acts. And so when he wears a certain tie that day, that's sort of saying what he wants to do to her that night.
2: Shit. And they've been together for, I think, since they were in high school, So that's, that was really inspiring to hear from somebody who's been like, you know, together since they were really young and being in their like mid sixties. That's pretty, I mean, she was pretty, I I met, I met her husband too. I don't know if I told you that. Oh no, that's awesome. And backstage, um, in, in, at one of the shows and it was really, it was really exciting after hearing all of her stories to meet her husband. Uh
0: huh. Um, With the the tie thing, do you do similar things with various shades or hues of red lipstick?
2: (laughs) No, no, I don't think so. I always match my outfit. (laughs) Mm.
1: So I know you have maybe stated it before, but we would love to hear a little synopsis just of your kind of dancing journey, because you've been dancing since 1992. How Hmm. did you get from maybe stripping and dancing in clubs there to where you are now?
2: Well, I first, you know, I was a ballet dancer my whole life um, just kind of not a great ballet dancer, but I always loved ballet. So I had all that dance training. Well, you look
1: pretty damn good on point, um, at your show,
2: (laughs) but you know, I just wasn't technically good enough to be professional ever. And I always kind of lamented that I wasn't good enough, but in the end, I think it worked out the way that it should. I got to, I got to have all the things that I love about ballet, um, with (laughs) expertise and with the career that I have and probably a longer career. Um, I was just, in Paris, and I know the most famous, one of the most revered ballerinas in the world, and she just had to do her official step down because you're retired when you're 42 if you're in the Paris Opera Ballet. Wait, you have officially, to do- that's the actual age. Yes, it's 42 <sighs> to leave. Wow. <laughs> Apparently, you can stay if the director of the ballet wants you to stay, but if her rival is uh, the director of the ballet, so oh. she was forced to take her step down. Do you yeah, feel like for of- you
1: there's an end date for how long you can do burlesque?
2: I don't think there should be any more. I used to think so, and now I feel like there's, you know, in the course of my career, like I've had a lot of revelations and a different meaning behind what my original reason for doing what I do is, and mm-hmm. it's got <laughs> meaning and it, more inspirational qualities mm-hmm. and I just like with my audience being mainly female and Furthermore, you know, casting my show with diversity in beauty and age and Mm -hmm. um, ethnicity and body shape and everything like this is an important part of what how I want my show to be perceived. Um, You know, I obviously can't represent all of those different things because I am what I am. But I think um, the age issue has come up a lot. And, you know, when I first started, when I was in my 20s. I couldn't wrap my head around anything except for being young and beautiful and perfect and like mm-hmm. a pinup. And now it's like, I see things in a very different way than I did when I first started. And I have different fans than when I first started. And I think like ageism is one of the next things to, you know, really uh, d- start addressing this mm-hmm. issue because it's just, it does, does seem like um, you are expected to put your sexuality on a shelf at a certain age. You know, I was, I was in this, I was in a Pilates class like about a year ago mm-hmm. and, um, the, I, and I heard a tail end of a conversation of this, you know, t- young girl talking about how pissed off she was that Madonna was posing nude for like what? a magazine. What? Yeah. And she was really offended. Like she needs to just stop it already. She's old. And and she was going on and on and I looked right at her and she was saying this with an earshot of like other women, around that were, you know, in their late fifties that were there to work out, you know, and I was sort what of what did like, you think when you heard that? I was so appalled. And I said something to her. I was like, you know, we are all here trying to look better and we don't really need to hear that kind of thing. You know, we should have, <laughs> yes, you know, yes, get it. Beauty and sensuality in all phases of life. 100%. And, you know, I was just so mad because I felt like, but then I tried to imagine maybe when I was Twenty something, maybe I was the same way, and I just wasn't aware of it until I was going through it myself and having people talk about my age um, and ask me in interviews what I would do when I get old and I and no one finds me beautiful anymore.
0: And I was like, I can't oh my imagine God. nobody finding you beautiful. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> this is like beyond comprehension. You mentioned something super interesting about how your audience has changed, and now eighty percent of your audience is women. And I want, I would love to hear you speak to that. Why do you think, I mean, I think you're obviously part of the reason for that, kind of being the champion of neo-burlesque and bringing it back and it becoming something very empowering and feminist. But I'm curious as to why you think specifically it's changed that much.
2: Um, I mean, it's difficult because I think when I first started, I was very much under the male gaze. Um, I worked, got my start working in a strip club And, you know, I, that's what I, what I originally set out to do is to be like the alternative glamour model and striptease star. And my audience was very, you know, a lot of men and Mm -hmm. I, I was in Playboy magazine and I was very, you know, famous for all these, like, you know, being the, the token throwback Betty page girl Mm -hmm. in the nineties. And I had a big male following, but I noticed, um, I think it was, you know, I mean, definitely like the whole burlesque and pinup scene has definitely flourished and evolved into something much bigger than it was back then when I was very niche and it was just like me, you know, um, now. And so I think like that accounts for some of it, there's a bigger audience for sure. But I do remember in like around 2002, 2001 or 2002, I came out with my first book and I was doing, I was in London and I did like a really big mainstream TV show, like the equivalent, his name's Jonathan Ross. And it's like the, he's like the equivalent of like the Jay Leno, you know, Mm -hmm. like everyone watches it. And that kind of changed my profile. uh, uh, What I think, you know, would be overnight. If there was any overnight success moment in Europe, um, that would have been it where I was, You know, blown away the next day. I had a book signing at Harrods and it was all women and girls, and I was not expecting that. And so it kind of like that was the first time I felt it. And I thought a lot about it in that moment and thought about what it meant for me, mostly, you know, why they were there and also what it means for my messaging and Mm -hmm. how, um, you know, I couldn't, I, I felt like I had a responsibility. Um, so do you feel
1: like you've changed what you wear and how you perform and the themes of your shows based on how your audience has changed? Or do you feel like you've kind of stuck to your own throughout?
2: The creative part I think has remained the same, but I got, I became more, um, more like vulnerable and explaining to people why I started doing what I do and what my feelings were and how, you know, basically, you know, I'm a, blonde girl, a very ordinary blonde girl from a farming town in Michigan. And I wanted to be something more. And I wanted to be, um, dare I say, objectified. I was, you know, I I had this idea about a return to fetishism and doing Mm -hmm. it in a elegant and beautiful way and kind of like being the, you know, showcasing things that are really risque like bondage and fetishism in a very glamorous light. Cause like, that's how I saw, you know, Betty Page and Mm -hmm. John Will illustrations and all this stuff. So I, I, I wanted to bring that to life, again. which we are so
1: grateful for. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, uh, so I don't think I've ever really changed my, um, my, the creative part, but mostly just trying to explain that I'm created. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, I kind of say I'm a glamor evangelist. Cause I try to explain to people like, I'm not a very, like, I'm not this worldly glamorous woman. I'm, you know, I created all this stuff mm-hmm. for myself and I I wore, I wore black stockings and garter belts because maybe I liked how I felt more dressed. You know, I felt more sexy and beautiful when I was more like, you know, dressed to kill or undressed to kill. Then, you know, I couldn't fit into like the mainstream ideals of what sexy is like, you know, Victoria's secret or sports illustrated swimsuit issue Mm -hmm. or models in general, which, you know, a lot of it is based on how, how, how beautiful are you naturally? And I was here saying, I'm not beautiful naturally or not exciting anyway. <laughs> well, and I, so I'm uh, myself. I mean, you know, but I'm saying there's a bit, vi- I've, you know, I, I, have gone out into the world, um, you know, every, we're coming up on Halloween and every year I, um, <laughs> I go, I usually wear a blonde wig or brown wig and I wear all beige makeup and I wear jeans and a t-shirt and <laughs> <laughs> back, to, back to Heather sweet. I can tell you what it's like to exist like that as me and no one looks my direction that's I so that. interesting. I find myself preyed upon by men I want nothing to do with. They approach me suddenly in a very strange way, and I—it's um, a very interesting experiment. But oh, is, I, oh, I, I can tell you who I've the the, per, the visuals I've created are give me a power, and so I think that's basically what I'm trying. What I started explaining, you know, really letting people in on my secret, which is of. Creating and being confident and finding my confidence through the way that I dress and present myself, and, you know, even being, you know, being in control of my sexuality. And um, that gave me, you know, confidence and power mm-hmm. as how I was before, which is a very shy person that, uh, you know, didn't feel, you know, confident any other way. So,
0: so you talked about how um, you're, that the messaging has become, like, more important or you're more aware of it. And Mm -hmm. what I think is so fascinating about what you're doing is you claiming the glamour so strongly for yourself and being so honest about the constructedness of it all and admitting that this is not, like, a natural look and saying that it's still for me or for you, rather. And I just really— I. I had never really thought that way about makeup. I kind of had a more, you wear it to cover things, you wear it to enhance what you already have, but you're like, fuck no, you can do so much more. You can create and be this person that you fantasize being.
2: Yeah, for me, it's like, it's, it's, it's power and theatrics and kind of like dressing for the day and um, the experiences. I think I always liked reading erotica set in a different time because I had mm. a fascinating... With the visuals of, er- of erotica and visuals of sex and what it could be, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, so I just always liked the, the the power of it and it's fun. Like it's fun. And it's not to hide because, you know, I'm not like a woman who puts makeup on to see her boyfriend. You know, I don't, I don't need to do that. Like, I don't need to put it on, but it's there for me when I want it. I'm not hiding everything in fact if I want to look younger I just don't wear any makeup you know I if I want to disappear I don't wear any makeup but Mm. you know but so I it's not something I'm ashamed or embarrassed of uh how I look without it it's just a little bit of a veneer and a and um also an etiquette that I like um You know, I feel like it's important in this day and age to like, when you put a little glamour out into the world, people notice and appreciate and it inspires other people and you feel better. Like, I feel like I can go out into the world when I go out into the world, I find, and I found this for the last, you know, 20 some years when I've got my red lipstick on and I've got my hair in place and I'm wearing an outfit I like, very few people can say no to me. Mm. So what, what I think is so sexy is confidence. And I,
1: you know, I don't know, obviously how you feel on the inside, but I would say that when I've watched your shows and when I've watched you, you do exude this confidence. What advice do you have to folks out there about how you maybe feel and exude that confidence? Like, how can we get in touch with those parts of ourselves?
2: Well, I mean, first of all, I like to say, you know, what I've learned more, more recently in life is like, it's not just confidence because like, I think it's confidence, but showing your vulnerability at the same time. Like these are very important things. Like, I don't think that everything should just be like, I am, I am Beyonce. You know, I don't think it's all that. It's like showing yourself like um, the combination is what's magical. It's like when you look at why, why is Marilyn Monroe so compelling to watch on screen because you see the sensuality and her beauty and you see a little, a certain fragility. So I think Mm -hmm. it's like, a balance and it's like really authenticity. But I do think that finding your confidence, you have to really like discover what it is for you. Like I don't think everyone that puts on red lipstick or dyes their hair black is supposed to feel confident or, you know, wearing a corset does not make everyone feel confident. But Some that's what makes feel- you feel confident.
0: Yeah. So I think you have to respect what it is for mm. each you so know. So kind not- of feel out what, if you realize that there's something that you're doing that's making you feel confident, take note of that and incorporate yeah. that into your, existence.
2: Yeah. Because my whole life too, it's like, I wasn't always, you know, I believe me, I've had boyfriends that were like, are you really going to wear that outfit? Can't you take, you know, do you have to wear that much makeup out? And I always felt like, oh, that's, as I got older, I started mm-hmm. optic. I stopped, you know, listening to what they would tell me. I was like, oh, they're like manipulating me and they want me to feel like too vulnerable. And I want, I, I feel good like this. So I think it's also, you know, just listening to yourself and not like, oh, I have to wear black lingerie or I won't be sexy. You mm. can wear white <laughs> and underwear and be sexy too. It's like it's up to you, and don't let um, your significant other dictate to you what is supposed to make you feel confident and sexy. You have to oh, really yeah. get what it is for you. So you've talked about
1: critiques that you've gotten from whether it's a boyfriend or folks like commenting on age and things like that. So being that you put yourself on display and that you kind of are the product that you're selling. Mm. I wonder how you deal with some of the critique and judgment from others.
2: Well, I always, um, you know, I kind of, I always kind of felt like I remember this moment so well when I was like maybe in my early twenties and I had a really dramatic outfit on and I had some people walking past me like, Wearing like you know logo shirts and cow, you know um, baseball hats and sneakers. The derision were,
0: in your voice is just incredible. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they were they were making fun of me, and I was kind of like, ah. Oh. And then I realized, like, hey, I'm not in their club, and I don't want to be in their club. If they gave me a compliment, I would be doing something wrong. And I kind of always looked at life, okay? <laughs> like like if somebody insults me from a different tribe, that's like a compliment, <laughs> you know, a little like you're bit doing like, something oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like the people that make fun of you, you're like, yeah, I'm doing the right thing because they don't understand it. And meanwhile, there's this other group over here, like, you know, you know, the Jean-Paul Gaultier's of the world <laughs> and the John Galliano's of the world. Love you know, you. Love yeah. so I is- see you as an icon. Yeah, and other people will make fun of me. So I think you can kind of apply that to a few things. I think like any whoever you are, and I guess I and I always say you know you can be a juicy ripe peach, and there'll still be someone who doesn't like peaches. It's just like whatever (laughs) you do, there will always be someone that doesn't like it. There'll be someone thinks you're stupid. I remember reading once when Elizabeth Taylor died, I was reading like some you know looking at some retrospective of her life, and in the comments section. There were things like she wasn't even very pretty. She wow. Was a ter- act- she wasn't even a good actress, and I was sort of like, "Wow, you're taking the yeah. time out of
0: your day to write that." And someone's a bitch. <laughs> right look, when they died, yeah.
2: If people out there can say something like that about someone like Elizabeth Taylor, then you got to expect they're going to say it about anybody, <laughs> and it, it's probably a valid thing for them to say they don't think she's beautiful. Right. That's totally fine mm-hmm. for someone opinion. So I kind of always looked at it that way. And also I just, um, any negativity, just if you don't read it, it doesn't exist. Like that's, you know, what something I learned a long time ago about the internet is like, if you don't read it, it doesn't exist. And on my, even with my followers on Facebook or Instagram or anything else, I found that when I stopped responding or reading the comments, um, those people, they go away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They like want you to 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 engage in that hate conversation.
0: The idea of getting a response from you is probably so appealing to them. So they're going to do anything in their power to fuels them. And they just, and it's true,
2: they've actually just gone away. And on Facebook is the only place left that I feel like people still say nasty things. And you know why they do it? Because other people will come, will engage. It's not because I will, but other people will. And on, or as an Instagram, it's not the same with that banter back and forth. Mm -hmm. I have a question.
0: Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, So you were talking about how you didn't want to be in the tribe of the t-shirt wearers and jeans um, and that they made comments about an outlandish outfit you were wearing. Do you Mm -hmm. also feel like you're on the receiving end of judgment or condemnation because of the sexual nature of your performance? Even though it's not super sexual, when people hear burlesque or stripping, they might think something.
2: Well, one of the things I always thought was funny was that there is definitely a difference in, you know, um like the people that I, i'm very decisive in my sexuality and what i portray on stage or in photos it's very decisive but the thing that meanwhile like i've never made a sex tape or anything like that like the celebrity sex tape mm-hmm. if you cry and say you're sorry and you want to be forgiven and all this stuff then it's kind of like more acceptable in a way than saying i'm going to show i'm going to set my boundaries and portray what I want to portray. You have done some organized, um, pornography though, right? Yeah. I mean, I made, um, I did, well, I did like girl, girl pornography with Andrew Blake, who I was a huge fan of, like in the early nineties, I was obsessed with his filmmaking. And I mean, it's all shot on film and beautiful locations with like beautiful styling. And I always fantasized about (laughs) one of those girls and he came. And then you did it. And I made a lot of money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is this the one, I think I
2: did see a video where there
1: was this amazing, um, stiletto dildo.
2: Yes. And I get called, I got, I remember one time I got called out on it once, you know, I did those when I was like, you know, it was in the early, in the mid Mm nineties. And, um, I had just in more recent years, I think like about 10 years ago, I'd gotten, um, a big deal with a major French brand called Cointreau. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, you know, it was a big, they, people tried to expose me for my racy past and I was sort of like, Oh, and they were like, she's going to lose her contract. And Quantro, a French company came back and they were like, our tagline is be controversial. (laughs) Nice. uh, Nailed it. But it was very much like what's wrong. Okay. So so so-and-so can have a sex tape which has real sex and I can have Okay, like all those Andrew Blake movies, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but they're all shot on film. So it's very quick because it's very expensive to shoot. And artistic. Film. Yeah, so, there was never it was very much if there was Art. ever acting, if there, if there was ever acting in a porn, a softcore porn, that would be that because they don't have time for anything else. It's mm. not shot digital. It, my day wasn't anyway. It was all shot on film. So you can't really get into it. So it's like, wow. So a sex tape is okay with people. You know a Paris Hilton, the Kardashian sex tape, there are lots of that, but creating um fantasy and illusion mm-hmm. is not that's where I was a little bit like, oh, it's a real double standard. You have to apologize, but I wasn't going to apologize yeah. for a big, you know, six figure sum for making a beautiful erotic film when I, you know, that's what I set out to do is to be an erotic and burlesque star. I'm not a politician. I'm not mm-hmm. like I'm trying to be a role model for people. Well, that's kind said- of the
1: topic of our podcast, um, mm-hmm. is this sort of judgment that we get for our, for our sexuality and for our behaviors. How else have you maybe felt judged for what you do as a career?
2: Um, I have a lot of every occasionally, it doesn't happen very often, but I always chuckle a little bit. I mean, well, first of all, I, Want to preface one thing uh, is that I'm very grateful that burlesque in you know the in this day and age is I'm very lucky to have a female audience. So it is more of like a modern, new kind of feminism. And you know now we can choose our kinds of feminism. It's not one thing. The rules are bendable. And I think it's really interesting that I get to play out my burlesque career um, with a female audience because. Mm-hmm. That- not what my, the women came before me didn't have that, you know, it was a male audience and it was very different of how they were judged. and I think I won't be judged in the same way. Um, but I have had moments like in the press where, um, people will, he- they'll re- report on a show, my show that they did not see and say that it's anti-feminist to be a stripper. And they'll mention like the men in the audience. And I'm like, but you weren't there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were there were only like, there was like 20% men in the audience and they were gay and they were the husbands and partners of the women there. I mean, it's, it's, it's when people write about what I do and they, they don't don't see the show and they don't see the audience and they just write write about what it is without knowing. Why would you
0: say that your show is feminist? Well, I mean, I don't think,
2: you know, I don't think, everything i do is politically correct by any means because mm-hmm. like i do explore you know lots of different fetishistic themes in my show and fit, sex fantasies and i and i have had people say i don't you know people judge will judge no matter what you know right
0: mm-hmm.
2: had somebody once when i was writing a giant lipstick say that i was like i had a cowgirl outfit on and i wrote a giant lipstick and they said i was like george bush riding a bomb So, you know, that's a stretch, but okay. You can find
0: commentary in anything. Yeah, seriously.
2: Commentary in anything. And I'd have the same kind of thing, like where I did this, um, this lavish opium den act that I've actually done in China. And, (laughs) and I had a few, you know, people say that it was cultural appropriation and that it was glorifying drug use. And I was sort of like, you know, these are, um, like outlandish, fantastical, erotic fantasies that I'm putting on stage and they are exempt from politically correctness. How do you and- come up with these with these ideas and these themes? Are they ones that
1: that you find that are your own or that you've heard from others? How do you come up with some of this stuff for these amazing
2: shows? Well I love a cliche. <laughs> I think I've gotten a lot of ideas from you know, what, like, obviously, like my obsessions, I have a lot of obsessions about certain kinds of fantasy women that I wanted to be, whether it's a pinup or a John Willie character. Um, you know, there's a, it's a lot of things like that. I work very closely with um, my very best friend who is I would call my my creative collaborator. And she creates a lot of the costumes, you know, Catherine Delish is her name. And we work very closely together. I mean, there've been some shows that I've worked on, you know, on my own, but I'd say most of the, most of the acts she and I created together. Shout out to Catherine. <laughs> Catherine
1: Delish is amazing and creates some amazing costumes for you and, yeah. and, and others.
0: Um,
2: yeah. I she, it,
0: yeah. Sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead.
2: Uh, I was gonna say she makes these amazing dressing gowns with like feathers, with marabou ah. feathers. so beautiful, and they've become all the rage. It was like a little a little thing that she started, and now, um, I mean, it's her major business is selling these big, dramatic feather robes that girls are, you know, wafting around their house and wearing to their birthday parties, and <laughs> it's really great.
0: That's amazing. You said something super interesting earlier about how you are the decisiveness with which you claim your persona, your sexuality, like in the public sphere. And I was curious if you find that that um, you feel like new partners potentially like have these weird standards or expectations for how you're going to believe when you're not in public and when you're not on stage.
2: Yeah, I think um, that's definitely been true in my life. I mean, I think back to when I was younger, I think there was a lot of expectation about how wild I must be because of all the bondage photos and things. Um, uh, I think also, you know, I have to say in my life after I was married to Marilyn Manson, I had a lot of preconceived ideas about what that relationship was like sexually and Mm how it might be hard to keep up. But honestly, he's like the most vanilla sex I ever (laughs) had. Really? (laughs) Just totally fine. I'm not, it's not an insult to say it's vanilla (laughs) sex because... Um, you know, I honestly don't need to be tied up and ball gagged and all that stuff that I was kind of like, like to experiment when I was in my Mm -hmm. twenties, because I kind of already been there, done that sort of thing. But so it's not an insult to him, but it is true. It's like, he's not, he was never someone that was, um, like sexually wild. You know, in fact, he had like rules about what wasn't okay with him, his boundaries. Oh, That's wow. so interesting. And I feel like that
1: obviously people on the outside are coming up with probably all these wild stories and things, but you never know what's actually happening in someone's personal life.
0: Yeah, it's true. Do you feel like people also expect you to just be like very sexual all the time and ready to go sexually? Yeah, I think when I've been, I've been in a lot of long
2: term relationships, and I'm in a long term relationship now. But I think when I've been more like single and dating, it's a little bit more difficult to navigate, um, and especially difficult, like, at moments where maybe I was doing a show, you know, and I'll come off stage, and it's like, I I don't have anything left.
0: Mm.
2: I've just done. You know the show, I'm exhausted. I just want to take a shower and eat food and go to sleep. So I think like some of that where people are like, oh, I was just so turned on watching you on stage. And I'm like, okay. And you're I'll like, I want to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, later. How about a foot massage?
1: Yeah, exactly. So how do, yeah. you fi- how do you find that balance then? And I mean, I, I feel the same way about working in therapy. It's like, oh, I, I know all these skills and I have these things that I can use in my real life relationship. But how do you find the balance between using that tease and the skills that you've learned in your work versus bringing it home
2: to your relationship? I think I just find myself in relationships where there's you know there's a deeper understanding of me and it's not expected of me. You know, I mm-hmm. ha- I can't remember really a time ever in my life where I did a strip tease at home for a boyfriend <laughs> or husband or anything. I can't remember a time that I ever did that. I never needed to do something like that because I think they've always seen it as like that is what I do and they like the more authentic and stripped down me if that makes sense it's like it doesn't I mean it's not that I wouldn't do it although I have to say I think it's it'd be hard for me to separate because the way that I perform on stage for my audience is very different than what I would do for someone that's in front of me. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would
1: imagine it feels nicer to get that authentic you, and that's the kind of partner you would want to be with, is someone who wants that special connection that you're not just giving to the rest of your audience.
2: Yeah, someone who's really grateful for to see the other side of it instead yeah. of expecting me to be that on stage.
0: Yeah, I, I was reading a lot of interviews that you'd done leading up to getting to talk with you today, and there was one thing that you said that I thought was really powerful, where you said, I'm not at all embarrassed of people seeing me without makeup, but I don't think everyone has a right to it. Uh-huh. And I feel like that really ties into what you were just saying about um, your relationships and and being intimate and people getting to see the non-performative side. Um, yeah. I think that's really powerful.
2: Yeah, and I think, like, The it's very I don't a lot of the show offy sex stuff, I hate to say that, but it's like all the show offy stuff, it's sort of like it's not actually what I wanna do. Like I've gotten more into um the intensity of like uh like cervical orgasm and really things (gasps) like that. Like all the real, like really getting into like, what is all that? and How do you achieve that and get into that? Like all the really like.
1: So for folks out there who don't know what that is, can you explain a little?
2: Mm, Well, it's only something I've really discovered in the last like couple years. Like I never thought I had that ability. I thought like, I I thought I knew everything about sex and I, you know, I think I did. You know, I was just like, oh, I'm a woman. I can, I, I'm it's, I need these things to be turned on. And then more in more recent times, I started like exploring, like how to, how to do that. And I can't tell someone how to do it. I'm not like a sex teacher. I'm sure you girls have more to say about it. (laughs) I'm also a novice and what works for me probably isn't for work, what works for everyone. But I just started getting more into like when you're in a really close partnership and you can, you can really, um, ask for what you need and, and, and experiment more. And you can also have the pressure off of having to achieve orgasm. Mm -hmm. You can actually achieve Mm -hmm. like crazy orgasms that you never thought you could have. Yeah. I think
1: women can have upwards of 12 types of orgasms. And so I encourage all of our listeners out there to explore how many kinds you can have. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can maybe come up with some even more than 12. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I know maybe you're not doing these things um, always at home with your partner, but I, I mean, a lot of people do look to you as someone who is a the icon of the tease um, or seduction or fashion. So um, what kind of tips would you maybe give our listeners or your fans about how they can sort of learn and embrace and, and master the art of the tease or practice that um, <laughs> for their
2: life? Yeah. Um, well, I think that there is a lot to do with, um, striptease of course, and using lingerie and clothing and, um, you know, role playing and all of that sort of thing. I think, uh, I, I love lingerie as a tool of seduction because I also think it's a great time where we don't have to choose between our sexy lingerie and our functional lingerie. And I've always liked lingerie for me and how it makes me feel about my body. You know, where finding lingerie that makes me feel, um, you know, confident. It's like I said, another reason I love stockings and garter belts is I felt like, Oh, I like how it um, adds interest to my body and frames the body and covers things that I don't necessarily. Mm. like. Um, so I always like lingerie for those reasons. And it also is something that's very like about has something to do with nonchalant seduction. Like I wouldn't go put on um, lingerie for someone. I like the idea of wearing it all day and wearing it specifically you know, for me. And if mm-hmm. someone discusses it, it's great. So I'm really, I like, I don't really, I tend to not really personally like the idea of going out and, um, deliberately seducing. I kind of like the idea of seducing yourself and living your life in a way that's, that brings other people in, Ooh. you know, I like that. I like that. Some people light candles and they put on music and they, um, you know, they, they they want, you know, all the, the cliche romantic things like flowers and chocolate and sensory overload and all this stuff. But why not do that anyway, whether there's someone there or not, you know, and I feel mm-hmm. like life in that way, that's to be the ultimate seductress. Because when you're doing it without a desperation um, or doing it without the purpose of pleasing someone else, that's like the ultimate seduction, because that's what really brings people in. Mm-hmm. it's not the desperation. You know what I'm saying? I just think you have to, you can't put your sexuality on a shelf just because you don't have someone in your life. Mm-hmm. You still should be using these things in your everyday life so that you are prepared and ready and it's effortless.
0: Mm-hmm. But I was just curious, you know, when people are asking you for advice about sensuality or seduction or fashion and really realizing that, recognizing that you are an icon, I was curious if when you realized that you had, reached that state if it was kind of scary or burdensome? Like, do you feel like I do this for me? I don't do it for others. Stop asking me all these questions. Uh, no, I mean, I guess I just think, um, you know, the way that
2: I've always liked to live my life has been about creating a pleasure state, whether I'm in a relationship or not. I feel like there's all too often, we're told that we have to like seduce a man. And I think like what about just living your life that way for yourself and for the pleasure of that? I don't know. And That's it just sounds like, amazing that you get to do that as your job. Yeah. And to make it seem like, and then it looks like it's so easy because it is because you've been doing it all along. And mm. I think
0: the
2: mistake people make is suddenly they're like, you know, I, I you know I, I I used to work in a lingerie store when I was young, and I'd always get people like, "I need to wear something sexy," and I you know and you know for the special occasion. And I was sort of like, "Well, how about start practicing your special occasion for your special occasion now? You know, instead of just like, I'm going to put this lace body crotchless body stocking on next week. Why don't you wear it for a while and see how it feels? So you start feeling comfortable in yeah. it. And, wear, and why wouldn't you just wear it under your clothes anyway? I just it's kind of, that's always been my philosophy about seduction because I don't ever want to get caught pretending anyway. I want it yeah. to
0: be real. Yeah, I'll never forget in high school, I wore like my first like kind of sexy like thong that had like bows on the edges and you would untie the ribbons and it would come off. And I like put it on for my high school boyfriend and I like walked out and then I just like saw myself in the mirror and I was like, I feel like a trust up pig. <laughs> and I feel like if I'd actually been wearing it as underwear, then I would have just like felt sexy that I was getting undressed in front of someone that I liked. But instead yeah. like... I was trying to make, to to perform instead of just, like, being
1: myself. Well, I get frustrated sometimes when, like, what you were saying about partners is when I want to put on an outfit or I want to maybe add more clothes to add to the tees and beforehand, and they're like, oh, you don't need to put anything on. Like, we're just going to take it off anyway. And I'm like, this is for me.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's always kind of a thing. I think – you know, I, in, in pretty much all of my relationships, because I am such an advocate for beautiful lingerie and I'm wearing stockings and lingerie and garter belts all, pretty much all the time. Um, my, I've found that any of my boyfriend's husbands that have been with me for a long time, they don't even take a second look at that stuff, but they would take a second look if I'm wearing white cotton underwear or something totally out of character. Oh, Naughty, yeah. snotty. I know it's such a terrible thing. I mean, but you know, that I, love said, that. I love that I wouldn't be, I would never personally, you wouldn't catch me in like a schoolgirl outfit or anything like that. I just would not, I wouldn't do it because it doesn't make me feel good, you know. So I don't, I don't really, you know, all those kind of like requests I have to say, if they make me feel like uncomfortable, I won't do it.
0: Oh, you're so oh, good gosh.
2: at communicating. Well, we
1: have so enjoyed getting to speak with you and hearing more about your your personal life and things that make you feel confident. Um, how can people find you? And I know there's some amazing projects and things you're always working on. So tell us a little bit about that so our listeners can
2: stay tuned. Well, I'm very active on social media, of course, on Instagram and Facebook. I'm just Dita It's D-I-T-A-V-O-N-T-E-E-S-E. Um, I have a new fragrance out and uh, actually this next week uh, called Scandal Wood. Aha, and it, I
1: love I it. Love it. <laughs>
2: yeah. And we also have a, the world's first ever striptease candle of the same scent. And it's a candle where you light it and the clothes come off. Um, kind of like, do you remember those vintage glassware, barware where you could your cold drink in it and yeah and yeah. those would come off so it's kind of the same concept but it's with a candle with the scent of the scandal wood
0: oh i love that
2: oh, and where can we buy those um scandalwood.com has all the information it's in a few department stores but also available online for pre-order now and then i have my lingerie line which is online at bloomingdale's and nordstrom and um, some really great lingerie retailers like BareNecessities.com. Oh, and awesome! And what I
1: love about your lingerie line is that it really encompasses um, a lot of different sizes for different
0: body types. So thank you for that.
2: Yeah. Yes. You're get me a garter <laughs>
0: belt. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, Dita, thank you so very much for joining us. We're so happy that you came on and wanted to talk to us. Uh, For all of our listeners out there, if you enjoyed this episode and want more, make sure to subscribe, leave us a review. You can connect with us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars or on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. And feel free to send us an email, a thought, a story, a rant at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And we'll talk to you next time, Thank you.